said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say to him by and by, When he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat. And will not rather say to him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken. Afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Does he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded of him? I trow not. So likewise you, when you should have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. You have done that which was our duty to do. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our study continues in Luke chapter 17, and we will start with verse 5, where the apostles are asking the Lord to increase their faith. And Dr. Mitchell remarks on this by noting that the apostles did not need more faith in quantity. They needed a living, active faith faith they had already. Next, our Lord gives the apostles a short story concerning his servant and his master. And the story concludes with Christ saying, doing what was commanded is only what is one's duty to do. In view of the context, it is forgiveness which one ought to do. Now, do we have someone who needs forgiveness from us? Likewise, do you need forgiveness from God himself? He's more than willing to forgive because Jesus died on the cross for you and me for our sins. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell with Jesus' command to forgive where it is needed. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. We again come to you with our studies in the Gospel through Luke, and we're in chapter 17. And again, I urge upon those of you who listen in to read this Gospel over and over again. And the more you read it, the more you'll get out of it. I remember one time Dr. B.B. Sutter telling his class that they should read the book of Isaiah through. You know, that's 66 chapters. And uh, one of the students came to me afterwards and he said, you know, what Dr. Sutter said today, he said we should read the whole book of Isaiah through before next, the next session. I would give him about two days to do it. And the class kind of howled about doing this job. He said, Dear young people, if you were to read the book of Isaiah through 50 times, you would get more for your heart and mind the 50th time than you did the first time. 
I never forgot what that student told me in repeating Dr. Sutcliffe's uh, assignment to them. And I find that the more you read, you reread, and the reread, the more it gets a hold of your heart, and the more your mind is enlightened. It is because of the fact that God's people neglect the Word of God, and they go off on tangents. I know that because I get mail, and sometimes the questions that are propounded to me reveal the fact that they do not have the context of the passage in their minds. It's so easy to take a verse or a part of a verse and go off on a tangent. Remember, in Bible study, be sure you get the context in which the Lord, or whoever does the writing or the speaking, uh, uh, whatever he says in that context, and don't press beyond what was the intention of the Spirit of God when he gave us the Word of God. You take this very fact that we have today, for example, in Luke chapter 17, where the disciples in verse 5 said, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. What's the context? He's been talking about offenses and forgiveness. And the Lord had said that if you're, if someone, tres- if a brother trespass against you, rebuke him. But if he repent, if he comes and apologizes to you, forgive him. And if he uh, trespasses against you seven times in one day, and he comes back and apologizes, you forgive him. And the disciples said, well, Lord, you're just asking the impossible. I don't mind forgiving a man twice, Lord, or even three times. And you pat yourself on the back when you say that. But to forgive a man seven times. And the implication of the Savior is, whenever he comes back, how often he comes back, you forgive him if he comes with a repentant heart, you forgive him. This is what you expect of the Lord. Now, I'm repeating what I said in our last lesson. This is what you expect of the Lord. When you and I have our fellowship broken because of failure, because of sin, of one sort or another, we come and we stand on the verse, the promise given to us, for example, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, the trouble is, too many of God's people, we we believe he forgives us, but we don't believe he cleanses us, because when we get off our knees, or when we have quit praying, or stopped talking to the Lord in our confession, our mind is still occupied with our frailty and our sin, and the result is we go out and do it again. Why? You're not occupied with the one who forgave you, You're occupied with your sin. Yes, this is true. This is not just an obscure case. This is the average experience of Christians. We just do not believe that when God forgives us, he cleanses us, that their sins and their iniquities will be remembered no more forever. Now, don't say, well, Mr. Mitchell, 
I can remember my sins, so God, God must, because he's omnipotent. My friend, listen, you're not God. You're greatly limited, but God is unlimited. And if God says, I'll forgive you your sin, and it's gone, never to be brought up again, forgotten, never to come into judgment, brother, that's God's grace. That's how God forgives. And I think a great many people would be greatly blessed if you and I as Christians would manifest this forgiving spirit. I know it's tough. And that's what the disciples said. Lord, that kind of a life, to forgive a man seven times in one day, Lord, you better give us, you better increase our faith. You're asking the impossible. But again, may I remind you that the Christian life is a supernatural life. That's why the Spirit of God indwells us just to live that life. As Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, or by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as Ephesians 4.32 says, we are to forgive even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Now, I've been repeating this because I think it's so vital, so practical, and so needful. And we feel like saying to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith that we can live that kind of a life. Now, what did the Lord say? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the sycamore tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. See, uh, these disciples recognized their helplessness. That's why they made their request to give for more faith. You see, there is little faith and there's much faith. There's weak faith and strong faith. But the fact is that we have faith at all. And you remember I've said so often, the important thing is the object of your faith. So the Lord's answer was, you don't need more faith. But what you need is a living faith. Use what faith you have, even though it is as small as a mustard seed. It's not the quantity of faith you have. It's the quality of your faith. Is it a living act of faith? And again, I say the important thing is the object of your faith. You know, you know what the Lord is saying here in verse 6? If you have faith as much as the size of a mustard seed, that's small faith. But if it's really real, you can say to this sycamore tree, be plucked up and cast into the sea, and it shall obey you. You remember over in Matthew's gospel, he said, if you have as much faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it shall, be obe it shall obey thee. What do you think the Lord is offering to the disciples? And I hesitate to say it, but he, what he's saying here really is, I'm giving you faith even that will touch creation. He could say to the storm, be still. He could say to the waves, stop your rolling. He could say to the dead, come forth. 
how glad I am that my salvation doesn't depend upon doing those things. But when a man or a woman makes Jesus Christ the object of their faith, they receive more than tossing trees into the ocean. They're brought into a relationship with God where they can walk continually in the presence, fellowship of the one who is on the throne. And I'll tell you, my friend, when Jesus Christ becomes the object of your faith, there is nothing impossible to the believer. You say, well, if I have that kind of faith, I'll be doing this and doing that. No, I don't think you will. I don't think you will. Because when you walk with God, and faith operates as you walk with God, faith certainly doesn't operate when you are to fellowship with God. But as your faith operates as you're in fellowship with God, the Lord will direct you what you will do. It'll be a life of submission to his will. You see, when you come to the book of Hebrews, for example, we're talking about faith now. Take the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You have the exploits of faith. What shall I more say? For the time will tell, will faith him, we have Gideon, of Barak, of David, of Samson, Jephthah, and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, stopped the mouths of lions. Out of weakness were made strong. But mark you, the patience of faith. Others refused deliverance. Others were torn asunder. They lived in dens and caves of the earth. They didn't do exploits like the other folk, putting down kingdoms, stopping the mouths of lions, and so on. Patience of faith. And I'll tell you, my friend, it takes more faith to be patient in tribulation and trial than it is to stop the mouths of lions or to say to the sycamore tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea. What the Lord here is talking about is answering the request of the disciples. And mark it, the disciples said, Lord, we haven't that kind of faith to forgive my brother seven times a day when he comes to me. And the Lord is encouraging them if you have genuine, active, living faith. Not the amount of faith, but that quality of faith that is in fellowship with God causes you to manifest the spirit of forgiveness, a supernatural thing to those who offend you. And by the way, my friend, that's even more, that's even more than casting the tree into the sea. If you want it, the Lord is offering to these disciples on the, on the ground of simple faith a touch of omnipotence. Say to this mountain, be removed. That's touching omnipotence. I'll tell you, the important thing is the object of your faith. And whatever the circumstance of life may be, then... You glorify the Lord by walking with him and the faith that you have in the Savior will be evident in what you do, what you say, your attitudes, and so on. Now, out of this, he says something else. 
Which of you, verses 7, right on down to verse 10, which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say to him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say to him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken. Afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Does he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded of him? I trow not. So likewise you, when you should have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now what the Lord here is talking about, and he's continuing with these disciples, is pride in service. In other words, our Lord is cracking down, if I can use that term, on self-exaltation. The Lord checks any idea or merit or worthiness in the disciples' minds. The service that looks for rewards is selfish. Even though you have as much faith to remove mountains, even though you have the faith to take a tree and, uh, and say to it, be plucked up by the root and cast into the sea, you've got nothing to glory in. Don't you take credit for the things that God does through you or through me. Whatever we may do in obedience to his word, thank God for the privilege of being a channel that God can use. But he's got to get the glory. You know, and I've got to say this very bluntly, yet kindly I trust, how easy it is for us Christians to be pleased with the job we're doing for God. How pleased we are when people come along and, and boost our ego. You know, I remember a Bible teacher one time saying, he said, you know, at the last conference I had, there was crowds, the Lord give me utterance and blessing. And after the service is over, a lady came up and said to me, Dr. So-and-so, that's the most wonderful, wonderful message I have ever heard from anybody. And I said to her, I'm quoting this pastor, this preacher, by the way, this Bible teacher. He said, yes, lady, the devil told me that when I quit preaching, that it was a wonderful sermon. It's so easy. And my friend, I know what I'm talking about. It is so easy for God's people to boost up the servants of God, flatter them until that fellow becomes so egotistical that you can hardly live with him. And the Lord here is rebuking them. Even though you can remove mountains, have the faith to remove mountains, don't you crow about that. Don't you take to yourself any credit for what God does through you. in reaching lives, in ministering the word, whatever service you may have, it's so, so easy to get yourself in the center of the picture. And the Lord here is rebuking, he said, when you get through all that you've done, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. Now, it may be I'm... I'm uh, stepping on toes on this. I don't know. But it's so easy 
even if we do everything he commands us, there is no glory for self. Now, Jesus not only preached that, but he lived that. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the second verse, do you remember the first verse? Wherefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus. Now listen to that second verse. Looking unto Jesus, gazing steadfastly upon Jesus. Why? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, is set down at the right hand of God. Who for the joy that was set before him? What was the joy of doing his Father's will? Endured the cross, despised the shame. And as he could say in John 8, 29, I do. When you have lifted up the Son of God, you shall know that I came from God. I'm going back to God. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that please him. And wouldn't you rather hear the Lord say to you when you go home to glory, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then to be able to cast your crowns at his feet and crown him Lord of all. And yet I must also exhort you as the Lord Jesus exhorted his disciples, even when you have done all that he wants you to do. Don't get egotistical. Don't look for self-glory. Don't stick your chest up. But say, we've only done what he commanded us to do. Oh, I tell you, friend, Satan is very busy getting Christians occupied with themselves, getting them occupied with their service. And it's so easy to take credit to yourself. So when you take this passage from chapter 17, 1 to 10, read it again, will you? The man who offends or causes someone to offend or to, to make an offense is in a far greater peril before God than the one who, who commits the offense. Because you are the source of it. And then let us forgive every time our brother comes and confesses and apologizes for what he's done to you, forgive him. Have a forgiving spirit. He said, well, that takes faith. Yes, it does. And the Lord Jesus can, through you, do that which you can't do. This is why the Spirit of God indwelt you. This is what he wants you to do, forgiveness. And then, and then so walk before God that even that little faith you have, weak though it may be, whatever your tests or trials or afflictions or your service, remember, you walk before him in fellowship and then give him all the glory for everything he does through you. This is the exhortation of our Savior to his disciples. I'll read that book, and the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Look full in his wine.
wonderful thing, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.